I'm Dan Jurgen, and welcome to Sear Week Conversations presented by IHS Market. I'm very pleased today to be talking with Ernie Thrasher. Uh, Ernie is CEO of X-Coal and XLNG, and he's one of the leading figures in the global coal industry. Uh, his company, X-Coal, is uh, one of the top uh, logistics and marketing firms. He's also the largest exporter of U.S. coal, as well as interests in coal mines uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, Ernie, welcome to Sirwood Conversations. Thank Very you. glad to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, we're meeting at a time when there's a real uh, energy crunch going on in the world today, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, high prices. What's happening? Um, <clears throat> first of all, I've run out of adjectives to describe it. it uh, it's an extraordinary uh, time in, in my career. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I think we've seen the convergence of um, supply supply disruptions that are uh, due to uh, a weak market going into COVID and then the effects of the COVID pandemic economically on uh, energy companies and especially coal companies. And then I think we're experiencing a global economy that has been, um, I'll, I'll describe it as juiced up right. by stimuli from various uh, governments right. and uh, central banks. Have you ever seen coal prices like this before? I guess uh, when you no, say you're running out of adjectives, that's no, what you mean. I'm running out of adjectives, yeah. I, I, I saw coal break $100 in 1974. I don't know what that is in today's dollars, but I would have never envisioned coal prices being over $500 a ton. And why is coal prices so high? I mean, we know LNG prices are high, oil prices are high. What's happening in the coal market? Yeah. Uh, we, we basically are experiencing supply constraints. We have uh, strong demand and the supply is not responding to the, to the demand. And again, during COVID, a lot of mining companies curtailed investments, trying to save cash, uh, furloughed workers, and those companies are having the same experience as many other industries, uh, challenges in bringing workers back to, to the workforce and simply uh, operationally when you curtail investment in a mining operation, it takes an extended period of time to get back into a normal operation. Is, is there additional capacity that can come into the system or is the system kind of peaked? I think the system has peaked. Uh, one, there's uh, difficult to get capital to expand the mining operation and uh, like many uh, investments in mining, once you miss an, a, a capital expenditure program, very hard to go back and catch up again. Right. Mining moves on. Right. So is, um, is capital is constrained for this business? Capital is definitely constrained. Right. Uh, both uh, not only capital for expansions, but uh, insurance and bonding is now constrained. So if you want to expand a mine, and you need to increase the bonds to expand the mine. Very difficult to get bonding. Is this the effect of ESG investment? The effect of ESG, yes. Do you see any sign or any thoughts that it will loosen as the world looks at the need for supply? Um, I, I don't believe we're going to see. I think the die has been cast and it's hard to turn the momentum back in a different direction. So the coal supply that we have is the coal supply that we have. It's what we're gonna have to live with. So do you see what's happening in these energy markets now as a, a harbinger of a cycle of, of crunches because of constrained investment? 
Yes, I, I think uh, we've seen the um, divergence of the timeline for uh, the aspirations of moving away from fossil fuels versus the evolution and development of renewable or alternate energy sources. Uh, we're, we're doing a much better job of closing coal-fired power plants and reducing the use of coal than we are finding uh, alternative sources of energy to replace that. Right. So you have, uh, so there's a gap between the energy that's needed and the energy that's going to be available, yes, right? Yeah. Um, Ernie, you've been in the coal business for a long time. How did you get into coal? Uh, one day my uncle told me to go to the mine and start working. Uh, I was nine years old, so I... Uh, child it was, it child was a, labor. Yeah, yeah, selection process. Right, yeah. so... Um, and of course there was a time when the United States in the 80s was driving to expand mm -hmm. coal consumption. Just how have you seen the industry change over your career? Uh, w post the oil embargoes and the energy crises of 1974 and 1982, coal was the solution for, the, for energy in the U.S with a lot of support from not only the government uh, regulatory aspect, but from a capital financing standpoint. That's all changed in the last 10 years. And we now find ourselves uh, being portrayed as a, as a industry of the past. So very hard to attract people, young people uh, who at one time were anxious to get into the energy business right. now question whether that's the future for them. Right. But, uh, Coal is still going to be a significant part of the energy mix, in your view, for quite a long time. Absolutely. I think uh, the, the view that coal is a dying industry is uh, somewhat premature. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. What do you find in, um, you, you know, you know the attitudes in Europe and North America. What do you find in other parts of the world? Certainly um, in Asia, uh, Coal is still the primary source of energy for uh, for electricity and other other industrial uses, uh, and quite a quite a large quantity of coal is used in the steel making process. And we're I think we're quite some time away from uh, replacing coal in the steel making right. process. Um, do you have any reaction to the Chinese announcement that they're not going to finance international coal projects? Um, Certainly, it's it's disappointing if it happens, but I my uh, my attitude with China is wait and see. Right. What's said is not always what's done. Yeah. So in um, this tight market that we mm. see now, uh, is your phone ringing off the hook? Um. Uh, well, it, it literally, uh, yes. Uh, but um, again, there's only so much that the industry can do to respond, yeah. and we. We not only have supply limitations, but we also have supply chain limitations for, right. we have to get the coal from the mines to the port, we have to get vessels to take the coal from the port to the customer. That whole supply chain is uh, stretched beyond yeah. its limits. Of course, that's true. It seems the whole economy, the supply chains yeah. of everything are, yeah. are disrupted. Uh, how did China get into this? Uh, I mean, a lot of this starts with with China in terms of what's happening in the coal market there. How did this Chinese situation come about where it's so tight? I think we've seen the evidence of what happens when the blunt force of government policy uh, gets imposed on the free market system. So we, 
We had the U.S.-China trade dispute from 2018 to 2020. We had COVID. And then in November, well, starting in May of 2020, and it reached a peak uh, in November of 2020 when right. China unofficially banned the importation of Australian coal. Uh, un that was sort of unofficial? Unofficially. Right. Yeah. So we're, um, there's, there's simply not enough coal in other parts of the world to replace the void left by the Australian coal not going to China. Is there, um, markets adjust, is it adjusting? I mean, are, is coal finding a way to move? Uh, the, the kind of how are you seeing the trading patterns change? Yeah, coal's finding a way to move, but again, um, a distorted market oper operates inefficiently. So we have U.S. coal going to China, we have Australian coal going to Europe. So we effectively have ships crossing in the Indian Ocean right. or the Atlantic Ocean, and that's putting further strain on the availability of vessels to carry coal. Right. So. Uh, what we're seeing in Europe is quite extraordinary. It mm. seems that we're seeing coal plants brought back into operation. What do, what do you feel happening in Europe right now? I think the biggest issue uh, is the uh, reduced output of renewable power. We've seen in the German power market in the last few weeks, renewable power, which normally would contribute approximately 55% of the German energy electricity mix, only producing 35 or 36 percent. Right. So that void has to be filled by fossil fuels or other forms of energy, and the Germans are turning to coal for that. Right. Right. And how do you see the competition between coal and natural gas? Do you, do you run into that in the market? Absolutely. We we have experienced it for the last uh, 10 to 15 years in the U.S. We're now seeing that in Europe. Um, last year, gas displaced coal in Europe. We have $22, $24 gas yeah. prices in Europe, and coal is displacing gas. Right. And, you, of course, you have ex-LNG mm. as well as ex-coal, yeah. so what's it's a, Yeah, it's a great combination to offer customers a full service of energy choices, depending on which product is the most uh, economic at the time. So you can go to a uh, an operator yeah. and, and... And offer the same, same amount of BTUs of energy, just which which fuel do you right. want. And where do you find, for you, the biggest markets are? Uh, for for coal, we're still primarily uh, focused, or most of our customers are in Asia, approximately 65%. And for LNG, it was Asia, but now Europe is, uh, right. is a strong yeah. uh, destination for U.S. LNG. So for those who don't know, is coal sold on a spot basis, on a term basis, or...? Most uh, thermal coal is sold on a spot basis, and we've seen a significant increase in the price for spot thermal coal. Most coking coal is sold on either a quarterly or annual basis, right. but the pricing is normally adjusted quarterly. Right. So when you see prices at this level, as you said, you run out of adjectives, what is that telling you? Uh, it, it basically, for me, it says, supply just simply can't meet demand. Right. And I think the only foreseeable solution here is if there is demand destruction in somehow, either demand destruction through high prices or through government fiat or right. simply com companies not having the wherewithal to, to buy, buy the products that need at these prices. So. Right. Do you, your, what do you feel, are you, 
any sense of what governments are going to do? Well, we've seen in China um, a, a desire to decrease steel production to 2020 levels. If that happens, oh. that will reduce the demand for coking coal. Um, I don't think uh, the, the Chinese are going to limit the use of electricity, but uh, recently they've talked about raising the price of electricity to, to try to curb demand. So in other and words, demand destruction, yeah. right, as the solution. Obviously a lot depends upon what this winter is going to be yes. like. Yes. So, so. Uh, where are your, your biggest markets are Asia. Yes, sir. Uh, does that include India? Uh, yes, from Indi India to Japan. Right. And so India is a heavily coal-dependent country. What's happening there, as you can see in the, in the market? Yeah, there's a tremendous, despite the fact that India has a huge domestic resource of approximately uh, 600 million tons a year, right. um, most power plants in India today are operating at very low inventory levels. Right. Uh, so coal, coal demand is extremely strong in India also for imported coal. Right. I guess that's uh, what one is reading is that inventory levels everywhere, the stockpiles are much lower than right. would be considered secure. Yes, sir. I think uh, just-in-time inventory has lost its vogue. Yeah, it's, it's lost it's, its veneer, exactly. Yeah, in the market. Yeah. Mm. What about in the U.S.? So uh, in the U.S., um, what we're seeing is very limited supply of coal, um, a supply chain that is stretched to or beyond its limits, and we've actually had discussions with power utilities who are concerned that they simply will have, will have to uh, implement blackouts this winter. They don't see where the fuel's coming from to meet demand. We're talking the United States. The United States. Right. Large utility. Right. So I think it's going to be a challenging winter for us here. Right. I guess so much um, depends upon what happens this winter, how cold it is. Yes, and <clears throat> I think uh, it's also uh, different regions of the country may have different supply issues or demand issues, but I think most, we, we know utilities today that are consuming gas, even though it's at a higher cost, in order to build coal inventories for the winter. Right. We haven't seen this. No, I haven't seen this. Uh, well, I've never seen anything like right, we're yes. seeing today, but maybe the closest thing to it was uh, early 2000s, 2006, uh, oh, seven. Right. Yes, yeah. that, that period. Prior to uh, when we had a run-up prior to the financial crisis. Right. So um, it sounds like, you know, we'll see how the winter goes, but it sounds that you are uh, apprehensive about... Uh, energy supplies globally right now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually very concerned and I think uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a very interesting COP26 in Glasgow when yeah. the world is in an energy crisis and we still have aspirations of reducing the use of fossil fuels before we have an alternative form of energy. So right. It's going to be a hard, hard, hard discussion there. So, Ernie, you've been in this business for a long time. Uh, you have a very sharp understanding of fundamentals of supply and demand. Uh, if you got calls from governments to what to do, what would you advise? Um, I would advise them to um, take a deep pause and 
have someone realign the slide deck presentations they have to get the graphs more more in sync. Right. Um, and what is this, I guess what you're really saying is, uh, you know, the phrase energy transition has become yeah. a common phrase. What mm -hmm. would you, um, what does it mean to you? Well, I think, you know, we've had since the Second World War, I think a very reliable build out of the electricity generating system in the grid. That's 70, 80 years ago. Right. To think that we're going to change that in a five or 10 year period, I think is, uh, it's just unachievable. Right. Physically unachievable. It's, it's, it's an aspiration and a goal we should have, but I think it's time for a dose of logic and reality. I mean, what you're saying is that um, there can be a lot of different objectives, but you can't forget resilience and reliability Absolutely. in the electric power system. Absolutely. And until we have storage, some kind of economical form of storage, the grid has to be stable every second of every hour of every day. Right. And that takes money, it takes investments, and it takes supplies. Yeah. So um, looking ahead, I guess you said demand destruction is one way. Another way is lower economic growth as a consequence. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm concerned about lower economic growth only because historically, in my experience and for millenniums bef before me, speculative commodity bubbles have not ended well. Right. Normally, you have either ec demand destruction, uh, significant decreases in global economic growth. The system will eventually reach equilibrium. It's just right. a question of who's on the losing side of that. Yeah. Well, as you said, during COVID, it was a very different picture. The world turned around. The economic rebound has been much stronger mm -hmm. than people had anticipated. So uh, even though, as you say, you can't quite find all the adjectives you need, if you look on the other side of this, um, you know, what might equilibrium look like? I know that's a very speculative yeah. question. Um, well, I think when, when tapering is imposed, yeah. I think there will be an economic yeah. slowdown or re return to normalcy. Uh, and I think that there's sufficient energy to meet that demand. But until this, um, this strong economy slows down somewhat, I just don't see where the energy's coming from. Right. And um, for the coal industry, I mean, if you look out five or ten years, what's your expectation about how the industry will change, what the role of carbon capture will be, or just what the mentality of the industry is? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's not only sad, but it's a travesty that people have suddenly accepted carbon capture and storage after hundreds of coal-fired power plants have been closed. Those plants would still be running today if we would have embraced and engaged in carbon capture and storage. It seems as if it's okay for carbon capture and storage for gas and chemicals, but it's not okay for coal plants, which is a waste of financial investments and certainly it's stranding a lot of energy, coal-fired coal right. energy. Um, technology is certainly going to have to continue to advance, but I, unfortunately I think we're past an inflection point for the coal industry. So I believe 
the coal industry will reach a equilibrium point, whatever that may be, 400 million tons in the U.S. or 500 million. And the, that part of the industry will do well for a long period of time because there'll be a amount of demand that uh, that 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 is not replaceable in the short term. But the years of growing up in an industry where each year we added three or four percent production growth and demand growth uh, are behind us, and I don't think they'll ever come back. Right. So uh, one of the things. You know, we discuss energy transition, and of course, energy transition up till now has been energy addition. Mm. Oil overtook coal as the number one energy source in the 1960s. We use a lot more coal today. Mm. Do you think, from what you're saying, in investment, we're kind of at peak coal now, or do you think we'll still see growth, particularly uh, as the emerging markets continue? I to think grow? we'll s continue to see quantum growth, but percentage growth, we're we're beyond we're beyond percentage growth. I think. Right we're going to see declining percentages of coal. Right. Well, the next few months are going to be really busy for you as the world copes with this uh, yeah. coal. I'm, I mean, our job is to do our best to supply the needs of our customers, but I also think it's a time that the uh, the industry needs to stand up and show that we're, uh, we are a solution to the to the energy needs and um, we're not we're not ready to throw in the towel yet. Right, and you can certainly see as uh, countries that had we're going to leave coal are now starting up their coal plants again, mm -hmm. facing the reality of uh, assuring the, yeah. uh, electricity supplies, yeah. and meeting the growth uh, of emerging markets, which is where Absolutely. a lot of your focus is. Absolutely, I think uh, the proof will be in the, the actual events that take place because you, you have to keep the lights on. You, a, a utility has a responsibility to its customers and a government to its citizens to have electricity and a stable environment for society to live right. in. It, when the lights start flickering, it'll, it'll be a tough, tough right. explanation. Well, Ernie Thrasher, thank you very much you. Uh, yeah. uh, for sitting down to talk about these mm -hmm. issues. It could not be more timely mm -hmm. for people as you know, suddenly the world has awoken to this energy yeah. crunch going on, and you bring a lot of perspective uh, and understanding to it. So, uh, very Thank glad. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it's great timing to do this. Uh, we've been talking with Ernie Thrasher, who is the CEO of Xcoal and XLNG, at a moment uh, that could not be more critical in terms of uh, energy supplies as we head into the winter of 2021 and 2022. Thank you for joining us for this Sierra Week conversation brought to you by IHS Market.